Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be God's family now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Genesis. Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were lovely, and Rachel was graceful and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went in to her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her maid. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Give thanks to the Lord and call upon God's name. Make known the deeds of the Lord among the peoples. Sing to the Lord, sing praises, and speak of all God's marvelous works. Glory in God's holy name, that the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Search for the Lord and the strength of the Lord continually seek the face of God. Remember the marvels God has done the wonders and the judgments of God's mouth. O offspring of Abraham, God's servant, O children of Jacob, God's chosen. The Lord is our God, whose judgments prevail in all the world. The Lord has always been mindful of the covenant, the promise made for a thousand generations, the covenant made with Abraham, the oath sworn to Isaac, which God established as a statute for Jacob, an everlasting covenant for Israel. 
saying, To you will I give the land of Canaan to be your allotted inheritance. Hallelujah. This is a reading from Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs that are too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, also he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not, with him, also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for you sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through those, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Another parable Jesus put before the crowds. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in their field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore... Every scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of their treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So this week we get to continue to look at some of the parables of Jesus, and many of them are agricultural. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit bothered that we get uh, so many of them all together because honestly, we could spend a lot of time on each one of these, um, but hopefully we'll get a common narrative as we go through here together. And uh, I have to tell you, Paul's words in Romans this week are um, some of the most comforting and some of the most challenging uh, for me in the entire book and, and also in the entire uh, New Testament. Um, so first. It's worth, I think, looking at these parables. And um, the mustard seed is one many of us probably learned as children. And the common takeaway from the story is faith starts really small and it grows really big. So it's a descriptive story. Um, and, and while I think that probably is true, that uh, our faith and our habits and our piety uh, start small and hopefully grow over time, uh, I want to suggest to you that there's more going on than initially meets the eye. Uh, one of the things is that mustard is not a tree, it's a bush. And um, it turns out at the time of Jesus, there was uh, some rabbinic teaching that forbade sowing mustard seed 
into your garden plot, rather mustard uh, with something that was planted around the fringes of gardens. Uh, the reason for this is that uh, mustard is invasionary, just like mint is. And I don't know if you've ever planted mint near strawberries, but having them proximal, uh, strawberries actually start to taste like mint. And this is the same with mustard. So not only is there a threat from putting mustard in your garden, that its roots will expand out, will invade, and eventually take over the plants you were hoping to cultivate. Um, but even while that's happening, the flavor of the mustard can be carried over into the other plants. So you may happen to really enjoy mustard, uh, and that might be really good, uh, some mustard-flavored wheat, but I don't think mustard-flavored fruit would be really great. Um, so there's this interesting bit, and maybe Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of God is like an invasionary weed. Uh, once you plant it, the goal is to uproot all of the things um, that you would like to sow until your whole life is cultivated in God's imagination, until everything else we produce tastes like God's family and God's imagination. I, I mean, I think that's a lovely, a lovely takeaway, but wait, <laughs> there's more. Sowing a, a bush in the middle of a garden plot uh, has a couple of problems with it. Uh, one is that bushes produce shade that can really affect the growth of the other plants. Even more significant, I put to you, is that the last thing you want in your garden are birds. And Jesus is very clear that God's family, the kingdom of God, is like a big bush that supports the birds of the air. Of course, we all know what the birds of the air are going to do. They're going to eat your produce. <laughs> and uh, this, I think, is really, really interesting to think through. Um, that perhaps the point of the, of the gardens, of our work and our piety, is not that we just have nutrition and nourishment that we put in a storehouse, but it is, in fact, to nourish people that we might consider to be our natural enemies. And that in so doing, the birds of the air will take the seeds of our piety and our justice and our worship and ultimately help distribute them throughout the world. It's a really different way to think about who gets what and what the point of our faith is. And this, I think, is a real strong challenge um, to prosperity gospel theology that says, uh, the better person you are, the more God will reward you. I think this is suggesting uh, the more we engage in God's imagination, the more we're able uh, to spread exactly the type of nutrition and agriculture that God has in mind, the more we're able to redevelop the world. And this also suggests to us, I think, that we have to uproot some of the things that are very comfortable for us. So reminder, the last two weeks, I've used my dad's definition that a weed is any plant you don't want. And it's very, very um, likely that people would call mustard a weed because it's invasionary and it can uproot your roses and it can affect the flavor of your strawberries. Um, but this, I think, is suggesting that God would have us deconstruct some of the produce and practices we're doing to make room for God to do some new construction. And I will tell you, if you travel down the interstate, you are more likely to see plants you identify as weeds than you are as beautiful ones. And so there is actually this opportunity to enjoy more of God's presence, frankly, if we could see it in the weeds. And instead of saying, oh man, I am so tired of those weeds, somebody needs to fix that, 
uh, I think there's this really great analogy of saying God is in weedy people and God is in weedy uh, processes. And if we could open our imagination to God's presence in that way, uh, we would be closer to participating in God's imagination and kingdom now and not just have to wait until after we die. So, number one, I think we're, we're offered by this parable of the mustard to look for God in the weeds, to uproot some of the structures that are holding back God's growth, and so that we can be flavored uh, in such a way that we nourish the world with God's imagination. Second story is about yeast, and I want to be clear that there's nothing wrong with yeast, but it is really helpful to hear that at the time of Jesus, there were no yeast packets, there was no Fleischmann's. Um, the way bread was leavened was either through uh, like a sourdough starter or through the air, and as opposed to rapid-rise yeast, that just took time, uh, took more time. So at the Passover, it's not that the bread didn't have any yeast in it, it's that there wasn't enough time for the yeast to really rise the loaf. They had to prematurely bake the dough before it could rise. And so the invitation of the Passover is, do you wait for the bread to rise or do you choose to rise up? So flatbread is a reminder that um, matzah is a reminder every Passover that God's inviting us to rise instead of just waiting for our bread to rise. Um, so there is an association that yeast is ordinary stuff, um, but there's also this reminder uh, that happens every Passover that um, sometimes uh, we just can't wait. Sometimes we need to get up and go when God says, let's go. And uh, it is true that uh, baking bread tended to be women's work. Uh, you can read this in a book, Rediscovering Eve. It's... it's uh, really fascinating. It took, on average, about five and a half hours of work by women every day to make 90% of every human being's diet, which is a two-pound loaf. That included the daily grind, and sure enough, uh, women need the bread, and that's what brings the yeast in from the air and from the sourdough so the bread can rise. Um, this is an interesting story because the woman in the parable is... Um, she's needing an outrageous quantity of flour. I mean, uh, this is at least a bushel of flour, possibly three bushels, depending which scholar you read. I mean, it's at least 60 pounds of flour. Um, so it's honestly kind of unreasonable to, to, to need a 60-pound batch of dough uh, you would have to be incredibly strong. And, and of course, um, there's this image of, of grandiosity and extravagance here. There's a good reminder, too, though, that women, um, under the way that the law played out, were considered unclean for at least one week out of every four. Uh, they were considered ritually unclean because of their period. So here's something very ordinary. The kingdom of God is like invisible stuff that happens in the air, that's very ordinary and not holy like Passover bread that a lady who could be unclean a quarter of the time needs into a huge amount of dough and at the end of the day it causes the whole batch to rise. These invisible small moments full of ordinary and uncleanliness that's ordinary as well. Again, it, it's a reminder to us, I think, that um, God's imagination doesn't just play out in moments we consider 
holy. We all have those thin places and those milestones of faith etched in our memory in which we realize, aha, God was here and I didn't know it. I think instead Jesus is saying to us that the dough, the batch, the kingdom of God rises in ordinary and often seemingly insignificant ways and frankly um, through the efforts of uh, people who may not be completely holy and sanitary. So there's this challenge to see a God's family worked out in people eh, who are somewhat suspicious and circumspect, and that's a real challenge. Uh, the next time the hairs on your neck stand up, or you start to clutch your purse, or uh, you have this um, thought uh, that makes you uncomfortable being around somebody's presence, what if it could be a wake-up moment to say, oh, uh, I wonder what God uh, could be telling me about um, my preconceived notions about where God is right now. Uh, I certainly hear the parable speaking that way. And the more we could do that in seemingly insignificant moments, the more we could help the kingdom of God rise up instead of just staying flat. Um, we get to hear the story about a treasure in a field. And the rules of engagement are... are, are worth hearing. You know, if you go out, if you're mowing the grass and you find a treasure chest of doubloons, so you bury it and you buy the house and uh, then you have the doubloons, it, it, it turns out that the, that the law at the time of Jesus, um, and actually uh, depending on who your lawyer is right now, won't support you owning the doubloons um, because you knew something the property owner didn't have. So there's this really interesting thing that happens in the story. This person finds this treasure in a field that is so uh, mesmerizing and drawing, but that they can't actually use. Because the moment they start sharing that wealth, people are going to know uh, that it's not rightfully theirs. You say, why would anybody do that? And I think that's part of the point, is that that treasure is not about personal gain, it's, it's about being overwhelmed by the beauty of something. And the pearl merchant, I think, says the same thing. The pearl merchant, listen, sells everything he has, everything. Like he sells the shirt on his back to buy this pearl, and now it's incredibly valuable and wonderful, but what's he going to do with it? He can't eat it. it. It wouldn't nourish him. It won't give him any shelter. He can't sleep on it. And I wonder if the pearl isn't so wonderful to him that he couldn't even bear to sell it. On the one hand, it's worth everything. It's what he's been looking for his whole life. And on the other hand, it has no value to him. And again, I hear this as a huge, a huge challenge to prosperity gospel, that we don't have faith so that God will reward us. Faith is not an investment. Um, we have faith in God, says C.S. Lewis, because it's like that pearl. It may not be full of happiness, but it is absolutely the key to joy. And in these ways, these parables start to supplant uh, the way I think that we typically approach church as an institution and the structures that we're very comfortable with that call other people weeds and push them out. And that's why I wanted to make sure you see this picture behind me that we got from our pilgrimage in Israel in 2017, um, more often than not, people then as now would rather just be uh, look at one another from the shoulders up. And here's this reminder that this woman, uh, who is untouchable, touches Jesus at his 
lowest point, his feet, and that Jesus is absolutely present in his dirtiest, lowest point, and it heals her, and it grows the kingdom of God like leaven does and like mustard does. And sometimes we're so fixated on all things bright and beautiful that we forget that God made all things short, shallow, and squat just as well, and that God is in the weeds as much as the roses, well, actually maybe more, because there are, quantitatively speaking, more weeds than there are roses. Then we get to hear this last story about the parable of the net, and it's really important to hear. Andy Doyle's done a lot of work, our bishop, um, through some of his his um, blog activities to say this isn't like a like a cast and drag net. This is a sane net. Like this is what you do um, to draw the boots and the tires and the eels and the minnows. This is the way that you get everything out of the water and draw it to God. Now, traditionally, I think we could hear that, look, there's good fish and bad fish, and we throw the bad fish out. And sure enough, bad fish are people who go to hell because they don't think the right thoughts or they don't have the right conversion moments. But I think uh, to do that is to miss, to miss what's going on here. We don't decide what gets kept and what gets thrown out. Um, God does, and that's done by uh, messengers, by angels, by people who represent God. And that really the parable is suggesting, I think, not that we make decisions about who's in and who's out, but that we join uh, the work of Christ when we draw everything, even if we think it might be worthless, when we draw everything, even off the bottom, to bring it closer to God, because God would redeem the entire world, all of it. And I put to you, we always have this opportunity to decide when we think about judgment, are these whole people or are these the parts of ourselves? Would God uh, does God, God consider certain people to be pollutants, or is God fully aware that there are uh, parts of ourselves that not only pollute our bodies, but pollute the entire environment? At the last day, are the messengers of God there to throw people into hell or to throw in things like racism and sexism, heterosexism, prejudice, ageism, ability? Is God going to clean those pollutants out for our sake? And it makes me think that this parable is not one that we have to wait on. This is a parable in which we can, as messengers of God, after all, we are the church of Jesus Christ, we can start to cull those pollutants out, not only of our body, but our society by insisting upon justice. Justice as God defines it, which is distributive, and restorative. Um, this is big time work, and this is why I think it is great to hear uh, the words of the Apostle Paul speak not only on comfort, but in, remind us of why this is holy work that needs to be done. So on the one hand, Paul says, and there's three particular ideas I want to bring out of Romans here. Uh, first, sometimes we don't even know what to do. Uh, and I will tell you that is systemic, I think, right now. Uh, whether we're talking about mass or whether we're talking about uh, statues and racism, uh, we are struggling with uh, what to do. And we get to hear um, Paul say that the Spirit of God groans for us more deeply than we can ourselves, so that God is praying for us. Isn't that amazing to think? We often think we have to pray in the right ways. And here Paul says, 
uh, the one praying the right way is God, and God's pushing us to join and pulling this net in and praying that we will breathe that in. The second thing we get to hear is in the middle of mistake making that God is able to work thing, all things to the good of those who love God. And I think this is really important. We could hear this verse, in all things God works to the good of those who love God. And we could start to say, well, it's a predetermined fatalist universe, so uh, God made me an alcoholic and I can't be blamed for that because that was God's plan. I, I want to suggest to you to the contrary that I think what Paul might be suggesting schematically is that every time we make a choice, God is able to redraw all the possibilities for the rest of our life. I mean, if you think about it, every time we do anything, God redraws all the possibility before us. And what's amazing about God is that God doesn't predetermine which choices we make. No, when we make a choice, God is able to say, based on that, um, here's the possibility next. And this, I think, is the power of redemption, that nothing is outside of God's ability to redeem. That doesn't take away um, hurt and loss and damage, but what it does say is that um, the transformative power of God in resurrection is that there can be new life. Again, uh, I think most of us know people who have been diagnosed with terrible illness who have said, I discovered God in the illness. By the way, that's not causative. It doesn't have to work that way, and God's not engineering it. But nonetheless, I can't tell you how many stories I've heard um, from parishioners who have said, when I got this diagnosis is when I really started to live instead of starting to die. Um, again, I'm not going to say that's how it has to work. What I want to share anecdotally is that a number of people have said that God is able to work redemptively even in the middle of terrible news. And I think um, this is a comfort for us as we would join God in looking with renewed interest and imagination into the weeds and looking to pull in the net and looking to do these little um, acts of yeast that are almost invisible but that cause things to rise is that when we mess up, God is able to go somewhere with it. And I think finally, uh, this is this amazing, amazing conclusion to chapter 8 in Romans that neither height nor depth nor powers nor principalities, that's the King James word, principalities, which really means like isms, ageism, racism, sexism, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. And I think that reminds us um, not only that God is in the weeds and God is dragging in the boots and the toilet seats along with the fish, but it reminds us that even at our worst, it's not that God has left us, it's that we're not aware of God's presence. And this, I think, is a reminder to us of this, of this not only security uh, that we have as children of God uh, and of the amazingness of God's grace, how much greater it is, frankly, than our own, but it gives us an impetus for, be, for being agents of grace. There are people in our parish and certainly in our community, who live in separation of the love of God uh, that is in Christ Jesus. Not because God isn't present in their lives, but because the force of this world, and we say this in the baptismal covenant, um, destroy the dignity of the creatures of God. 
And so part of our job as, um, as Christians is to be agents of good news and to say, hey, um, you don't have to live separate from grace. And not only will I be an agent of God's grace to you, but I'll, um, I'll be your advocate so that systems of oppression no longer separate you from the dignity that Christ is already working out in heaven. I will join Christ's eternal work here on earth so that you and I can live in God's imagination now and not just later. And even when we fail, even when we're tired and when we're exhausted, even when we're intractable, we are fully loved as our birthright of children of God. And even those moments of intractability, God is able, if we would just be willing to redeem and offer new life, not just, you see, for the birds, but for the crop, for the harvest that God intends. Let us renew and reconsider our faith in the words of the Iona Creed. We believe that God is present in the darkness before dawn, in the waiting and uncertainty where fear and courage join hands, conflict and caring link arms, and the sun rises over barbed wire. We believe in a with us God who sits down in our midst to share our humanity. We affirm a faith that takes us beyond a safe place into action, into vulnerability, and onto the streets. We commit ourselves to work for change and put ourselves on the line to bear responsibility, take risks, live powerfully and face humiliation, to stand with those on the edge, to choose life and be used by the Spirit for God's new community of hope. Amen. In peace, we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone, for this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace, for St. Thomas the Apostle School, for those who teach and those who learn that they may rejoice in the knowledge of your truth, for the just and proper use of your creation, for the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression, for all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble, for those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy, for the peace and unity of the Church of God, for all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth, for all bishops, priests, and deacons, for the priests in our community, Mike, Craig, Bill, and Lillian, for Andy, Hector, Jeff, and Kay, our bishops, in the diocesan cycle of prayer, All Saints Cameron, Christ Church Mahaya, and Christ Church Temple, and for Michael, our presiding bishop, for all who serve God in the church. 
for all who have committed themselves to our prayers, for our families, friends, and neighbors, especially Chris, Larry, Jerry, Sean, Jerome, Susie, Ted, Andrea, Kevin, and Ron, and those the congregation wishes to name at this time, silently or aloud. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. We will exalt you, O God, our King, and praise your name forever and ever. We pray for all who have died, that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. So I wanted to offer uh, several updates. Most of these you'll see in your e-news, but um, for the week, these are the things um, uh, encouraging you to pay attention to, which is that next Sunday, we start a new book study on Sunday morning, uh, Bridges Out of Poverty. This is a fantastic book that really talks about uh, the obstacles, particularly between class, but is certainly relevant uh, as we consider things like uh, race and gender um, moving forward. Uh, socially and, and justly. Uh, so I encourage you to pick up Bridges Out of Poverty and join us on Sunday mornings from 9 to about 10-15 uh, uh, for the month of August. Um, next Saturday, that's August the 1st, we're going to be doing our food distribution with Galveston Food Bank here at St. Thomas. Uh, volunteers are encouraged to show up as early as 7.45 and we're usually done serving more than 100 cars by 10:15, totally cleaned up and out the door. Uh, so that is confirmed service, rain or shine, on uh, Saturday, August the 1st. Um, there's a couple other educational opportunities. Beginning um, the third week of August, we're going to offer a curriculum put out by the Diocese of Atlanta called Dismantling Racism. Um, and, and this is sort of the foremost uh, curriculum that's been put out in the country as a way of um, entering into conversations as a parish and uh, personal growth and uh, obviously service to the community. Um, there's a workbook associated with it, um, so just please let me know through email or a phone call if you're interested in joining us for that, but those will be on Wednesday mornings and I'm more than happy to uh, record those if you can't make it on Wednesday morning and put them on our YouTube channel so that you can enjoy it after hours. Uh, if that if that suits your needs uh, again just please reach out to me uh, because um, you can't turns out order the curriculum yourself only trained facilitators in the curriculum can get it and i happen to be one of those um, we've had a request to help lord of the streets this is a, a church community that serves uh, presently and formerly homeless uh, families in downtown houston um, they offer not only uh, services during the week and meals on the weekend, but they offer a spiritual community as well. And uh, one of the things they do that is critical is hand out um, blessings in a bag, much like we do. And um, they hand out about 150 of those a day. So in order to help uh, our partner ministry, uh, there's uh, St. Thomas is going to be collecting some goods uh, to support Lord of the Streets. Uh, blessing in a bag and those can be dropped off in the blessing bag right outside the front door uh, there's a full list of those 
in your e-news, but I just want to encourage you. It's a great way um, to serve folks who are in need right now. Um, a couple of the people have asked me about backpacks. Typically, we provide backpacks and school supplies to students at McWhirter, and that's just on hold because they, because uh, of the COVID situation, they're, uh, have a they've asked us to hold. They haven't said no, just not to do anything yet. Uh, of course, many people want to know when are we going to be able to regather for worship, and again, that's uh, something that's a moving target for us. Uh, obviously, we want our sanctuary to be a safe place. Uh, so your vestry works um, week to week on conditions. Um, we have, it as, as I've mentioned in the past, a diocesan approved plan, and we have a really good way, we think, in order to do it, um, but that's also contingent upon uh, case count flattening or diminishing. So um, it's frustrating for all of us not to know, and that's one of the big problems with COVID right now is just not knowing. Um, but we're doing our best on a week-to-week -week basis, and uh, when we've got a, a, a good date, we will we will put it out in the e-news and um, and on our Facebook page. Um, really, really grateful for your continued faithfulness to St. Thomas. Um, happy to say that many of you are are being so good about. Um, uh, contributing online and and um, through the box and through the mail and so we're we're doing okay in uncertain times and uh, just uh, really really grateful um, for your faithfulness to St. Thomas. Um, I am looking forward to physically regathering with you as soon as we can safely um, and uh, and I uh, pray that that will be soon in the meantime if I can support your family in any way uh, with prayer or otherwise uh, please don't hesitate to let me know and uh, prayers that um, this week is indeed a peaceful and uh, constructive week for you. And now the peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. As our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May God, who by the Holy Spirit caused those of many languages and worldviews to proclaim Jesus as Lord, strengthen your faith and send you out to bear witness to God in word and deed. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and remain with you forever. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.